Good evening, everyone, and welcome to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My name is Marmar the Midboss, and I am your host of Lag Radio, your weekly source of video game appreciation, chiptune idolatry, super sweet giveaways, and so very much more. On the show this evening, episode 30, where we are going to be covering a really outstanding release in the past couple of years, a new IP for the PlayStation 4. It's actually the one of the top-selling games in the PlayStation's history. It is Horizon Zero Dawn from Guerrilla Games, published by Sony Computer Entertainment. We are going to be talking about the history and development of the game. We're going to be going over all of the different details that the team went through uh, with the seven-year process. We're going to be talking about the story of the game, of course. We're going to be going through the plot of it from start to finish, or at least as much as we can of it, because it's a pretty big, pretty big plot. Pretty big plot. And then uh, we're also going to be talking about the gameplay elements, what made it good, what made it not so great in certain parts, all that sort of stuff, wrapping up, of course, alongside the soundtrack. Music from the soundtrack, from all the different composers that helped out compose the full, like, almost four hours of music. So, we're going to be going through all of that this evening. Real quickly, though, of course, want to interview, or interview, introduce hey. <laughs> our uh, special guest for the evening. Just you this evening, though. Just me, no Alex. Yeah. Just me. All right, I'm okay with this. I took over. I took over. You're no longer a package deal. You guys okay? Yeah. The divorce is almost final. Oh, okay. Yeah, some paperwork to fill out. (laughs) (laughs) I see, I see. All right, well, welcome, Brandon, of course, back to the show. Uh, We're going to be talking about all these things, but, of course, we've also got that giveaway. So make sure later on, when I say the magic words, don't do it now. Take it easy. Be be slow rolling, all right? (laughs) Call in later, 949-UCI-KUCI, 949-KUCI. U-C-I-K-U-C-I, 824-5824. I had to think about that for a second there. Mm-hmm. I should have this just like rolling off. I've hey, you've done so this a couple years. years. Yeah, a couple. A few years. It's been a few years. 949-U-C-I-K-U-C-I. Please call in later on to win. Uh, the first time, actually, I'm surprised that it's taken us 30 episodes to get to the point of giving away a Funko Pop. Yeah, I, when you posted it on Facebook, I was like, wait, really? But it's like, it's not a Funko Pop where it's just the normal like, person with the normal face like with no detail on it it's a pretty cool pretty cool funko pop that's so, what i was thinking too yeah i want to win it but i'm on the show so i can't win it but <laughs> Sorry, you guys dude. can but you, you guys, guys can, can. Yeah. exactly so you can win a funko pop of the watcher machine from the game of course if you call in later 949-UCI-KUCI if you don't know about our social media outlets then please make sure to follow us there facebook.com and twitter.com slash lag life radio l-a-g-l-i-f-e-r-a-d-i-o also our instagram at dj double underscore marmar you can find me posting there every now and again a little more personal stuff there my day-to-day yeah you can get it really (laughs) up in my business uh (laughs) at dj double underscore marmar and then also the archive which i'm kind of still working on uploading stuff over time we're getting there ish like radio.kuci.org and should have a makeover soon too we're going to try and give it a little bit of a facelift and uh make it look a little prettier so follow us there lagradio.kuci.org for the archive and playlists but first as always let us set the stage let's listen to some music from the soundtrack first and foremost so uh, the name of the composer, I think. I don't know if you watched any videos. I think his name is Jory Dumont. That's uh, that sounds familiar. I believe that's right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Jory Dumont, which is J O R I S D D E Mon M A N. So yeah. Jory Dumont. We're gonna listen to Alloys 
Aloys. Dang it. I Aloy. wanted to say Alice. See, but that's the pun. That's, that's what the they pun. went for. <laughs> they, they succeeded. Good yes, job. Yes, they did. Nicely done. Aloys theme featuring Julie Elvin from the Horizon Zero Dawn original soundtrack. After that, we'll listen to Years of Training by The Flight. Again, if you want to call in later on, 949-UCI-KUCI. Otherwise, we will see you in just a little bit. Thank you for listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My name is Marmar the Midboss. I'm joined by Brandon, and we are Lag Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My name is Marmar the Midboss. I'm joined by Braden and Brandon. I'm Braden. Hey. Braden. I'll change it legally. <laughs> and uh, we are Lag Radio. We're discussing Horizon Zero Dawn by Guerrilla Games and published by Sony Computer Entertainment. Just came out in 2017, and we are just about to jump into the history and development. Real quickly before that, though, we did listen to a couple of songs off of that pretty good soundtrack we listened to years of training uh by the flight and then before that one was aloy's theme by jory demont so development started actually 2011 okay very long time ago actually prior to the game's release yep it's like a, something like a seven year cycle basically or six year six and a half year right development cycle. and and part of that because games do take a long time to make of course but usually not that long um but i think part of it was because they were developing Killzone, I think it was Shadowfall and Horizon at the same time. They were doing like parallel. Correct. Yeah. So that might have made it a bit longer, but games take a long time to make. (laughs) So it's surprising, but not that surprising, I guess. Definitely the AAA titles. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Which is crazy because you've got a team of like, I think the the company is something like 100 and so people or 150 people or something. Yeah. I watched a documentary. I believe that's what they said the studio was at the time. Yeah. 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 It's a hefty amount of people to be working for so long. And none of them broke, uh, what is it, embargo or like they signed their NDAs and no one leaked the game. Like, right. Yeah, that's crazy to me. I love when people can actually keep those things under wraps. Oh, yeah. Especially the some of the big surprises, stuff like uh, when they did the Final Fantasy VII oh, remake yeah. like trailer. That E3 yeah. was wild. It might have been the same one that Horizon was showing off. It was 2015. It might be the same E3. That might have been. There actually. was a year where PlayStation's E3 was like back to back bangers like it was just like (laughs) i want to play that i also want to play that i think it was that year 2015 jeez yeah all right so yeah so horizon zero dawn came in a post kill zone 3 kind of world being developed simultaneously Mm -hmm. with shadow fall which was going to be a ps4 uh launch title actually now the engine that they decided to use with this game pretty interesting it's called decima and it was again intended for kill zone shadow fall but it's really interesting because the Killzone this series, for those of you who don't know, it's a first-person shooter. And that's all the Guerrilla Games has ever made prior to Horizon. It was just these first-person shooters set in this really dark, dystopic sort of world. And the game that they wanted to make, third-person. Yeah. So, Third, yeah. And open world on top of that. Yeah. No and kidding. then just an asterisk on that, they did only make the first-person shooter Killzones, but I think there was like a PS Vita title that was overhead. Oh. type of a thing so they made something in a different perspective but it was like on a much smaller scale because it was okay. just a vita game so sure but so, yeah mostly first person shooters on a on a console yeah which yeah. is pretty wild so they yeah. had a, their work cut out for them certainly for when sure they were making this uh this particular engine interestingly was also used uh for the until dawn series from supermassive games and also it was later licensed out to a certain game that's not quite released yet but mr hideo kojima wanted it for Death Stranding. So we're going to see more of this soon. Yeah, that's exciting. Because I didn't know about that until I watched the the no clip documentary on Horizon today. And I was mm-hmm. like, man, that's 
now it makes me believe in that Death Stranding game a little bit more. <laughs> like yeah. to see what it's going to evolve from type of a thing. Oh, like yeah. we have some idea of what it'll be. Sure. So that, yeah, that, that bodes well. Now with Horizon, really very important and central to this is that it is a brand new IP. It has never had any sort of series prior to this, no sort of comics to base itself on, nothing. This is all just fresh content. And when it comes to making video games, this is a very risky endeavor, especially when you've got AAA companies like Guerrilla Games, people that, that make these really, really you know high-budget, high-profile sort of titles. It's very tough to secure some funding for something that's so risky. But certainly when it succeeds like Horizon did, payoff can be very massive. And we'll be talking about, of course, the reception a little bit later on in the show. But uh, generally speaking, it was a very well-received game. And uh, it's pretty outstanding that a, that a new IP could do that. Now, originally, the game director, Matthew... Matthews? You're on your own on this one, man. I don't know. I, I have no idea. I didn't watch the full documentary. I figured you might have a little... Yeah. I think his name came up on a lower third. And Mr. that was about it. Mr. Dejange. We'll that? go with that. We'll yeah, go with Mr. Dejange. He, uh, he, the game director, was uh, one of the folks who kind of like pitched the idea uh, along with a, a team of about 10 or 20 who just kind of wanted to solely focus on art direction, concept designs for about a year and a half, I think. That's about how long it was that they were just working solely on these different concepts. Yeah, and I think... Um, Going a little bit further into that, there was a point when I think it was just before they were developing Shadowfall, um, they asked all of their employees, because apparently in uh, Amsterdam, where the studio is located, mm. apparently there, there's a big culture of everyone at a workplace is equal, no matter what your position is. That's like a big cultural thing there. Mm. So they said, you know, no matter what your position is, pitch an idea to the like higher ups at Gorilla, I guess it would be. And then everyone will agree on an idea. So I believe it was just someone who worked there, had this idea. And then it was like you were saying, forged upon and made better and better over time. But it was really interesting. They said that only one came back. That was the first person shooter. So everyone at that time was like, we need to do something else or we want to do something else. Yeah. So it's cool that they were able to, to get this going. Yeah. And that yeah. they were all on pretty much the same page yeah. when it comes yeah. to what they wanted to do. So that's, that's really cool. So yeah, so they started with a very, very small team while the rest of the team was finishing up work on Shadowfall. But once they finished Shadowfall, it was like, all right, let's find something for 100 people to start working on. Yeah. So here we go, full speed ahead. Now, when uh, they were thinking about like the environment of what they wanted to make, th there was definitely some recurring themes amongst what everyone was kind of coming up with, which was they wanted to do something totally different from Killzone in tone. They didn't want these dark kind of landscapes they wanted something a little bit more vibrant or more than a little bit more vibrant they wanted something like a lush sort of world to uh to focus on and uh yeah like we mentioned not a first person shooter so uh really they wanted to push some themselves and create something a little more special and uh certainly shows in the final product if you've seen any sort of trailer any sort of picture cover art you can tell this is very far from the kill zone style Oh yeah, and I and I was telling you about it earlier, but I remember watching that E3, and when they um, revealed Horizon, the the moment that got me is they're showing off the world, kind of like the open world, and all of the robot dinosaurs are there, and you're looking at two in the game they're called Tall Necks, mm -hmm. so it's just these giant robots, um, and they're showing it, and it looks like uh, a pre-rendered cinematic, which if you remember, Killzone got 
lambasted for because <laughs> they said, oh, this is in-engine and all the creators behind the scenes were like, okay, no, it's not. Like, this is a pre-rendered thing. What are you doing? So it looks like it's pre-rendered and then the HUD comes up and you're like, yeah, oh, this is in, oh, that tall neck. Oh, oh, okay. And I, from then on, I like never forgot what that game looked like. And I was like, mm-hmm. it looks that good. And it's, it was just such an interesting concept. And then the Gorilla Games logo comes up and I'm like, the kill zone guys <laughs> like that. It, yeah it was it was great right yeah, yeah 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 i remember that e3 and how there was such a such a debate amongst is it real is it pre-rendered yeah the kill zone one you mean the kill zone yeah, yeah, yeah 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 oh man so i'm glad that they were able to redeem themselves and they poked a little fun at it i guess just <laughs> off of that so sure yeah they, sure. they came back around now one of the things that was definitely consistent throughout the development cycle was the focus on the story and it began with the team coming up with about 40 different story ideas but a lot of them had this similar, again, a lot of people were kind of on the similar vibe, similar wavelength here, but they wanted this kind of juxtaposition of the beauty of this green world that a lot of people wanted and kind of a man-made sort of technology-based machine thing going on. They wanted that juxtaposition between the natural and the uh, man-made. So when it came to the story, they wanted stories that, that would you know, have those themes in the forelight, right? They, they mm-hmm. didn't want it just to be like taking place. They wanted to expand on the fact that there's this beauty between between the two. Uh, now, speaking about the, the world itself, though, now this is not just a post-apocalyptic game, not just like a Fallout game. This is a post-post-apocalyptic game. This is why the world is so beautiful and, and vibrant and stuff. It's very reminiscent of Last of Us in in some ways. Of course, Last of Us wasn't quite just like giant pops of green and all of that. Yeah, it was yeah. a little more subdued when it came to that. But it was still the same concept of here's society. It's already been taken down. Here is what nature would look like if it were, you know, to to take over in X amount of years or something. Yeah, in a suburban or urban area. Right, yeah. exactly. Now, with Last of Us, I know that the timeline when it came to the story was a lot shorter, but that was because the plants themselves were kind of like at the forefront. They were alive, and they were able to like evolve very, very quickly. Now, with uh, the story of Horizon, this is something like 800 or 900 years right. after the fall of civilization, which is something that we'll talk about, of course, in the yeah. story. But yeah, there's been a lot of time for just nature to take on over. And uh, it's pretty interesting to me when it comes to the story as well with how after so much of time that passes between the apocalypse and what is present, technology is just not science. That's not a thing. Like people have just forgotten what technology and science is and it's just this unexplainable magic. Yeah. Like there's this kind of like tribal magic-y feel, which is pretty cool. And... Uh, you've got these like really big spires that you know reach into the sky skyscrapers duh. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah you've got these like giant spires that people are just like not well i guess kind of praying to or, or... yeah they view them as kind of like a deity in a way yeah. yeah they're saying it's like a miracle of the earth or um i think in the specific tribe that aloy's from it's like the all mother is like this deity but it's just a technological uh building or office i guess it was back in the day but yeah 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 but they view it as this like all-knowing deity yeah which is which is pretty neat that's kind of yeah. just like what it was back in 
back in the day, right, with tribes and stuff, and they would say, oh, what is making this lightning in the sky? It's got to be the gods. Got to be the gods. So, yeah, stuff that you can't explain. Now, to get the world just right, the team did work alongside uh, actual anthropologists to try and think about how nature would grow over our world, you know, a thousand years after a cataclysmic event, or how would tribes form over time, that sort of thing. It was all kind of, they worked in tandem with actual anthropologists, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. When they were uh, working on the world, they also had to consider the machines that are in the world. So we talked about the technology versus nature thing. The way that that um, is developed in the game is that there are these machines that are like basically dinosaurs. I think all of the machines, yeah, are basically dinosaurs. For the most part. Like yeah. there's there's ones that are like buffalo, I think. Buffalo, or... there might be a deer. Sure. Yeah, but, but like I think eight out of 10 on a percentage basis, they're mostly dinosaurs. Right. Yeah. And so they had to, uh, when they were working on the world, they had to think about how the machines would coexist alongside some of these tribes that would be existing, you know, a thousand years after mm-hmm. uh, the apocalypse. And, uh, you know, a big part of the overall feel that they were going for when it came to this development um, was they wanted to make it very clear to the player, humans, they are not at the top of the food chain anymore. That has changed. That is not the case anymore. We are not like farming fish and uh, farming cattle and steer and whatnot. No, we are not always the hunter. We are sometimes the hunter. Right. And I think even at for a long time in their development, one of the main ways Aloy got around was riding a horse. But they mm. were like, it doesn't really make sense for horses to be here and for Aloy to ride them because then, A, it doesn't make her special in being able to like uh, take over the machines and use the machines at her will and things like that. And then also it just doesn't fit with the rest of the machine monsters like why would a horse fit in with <laughs> dinosaurs and and all that type of thing but there are to be fair there are like other smaller animals running around that are not machine there's uh boars foxes uh Raccoon. i think raccoons yeah there's Turkey. a couple other little animals yeah and apparently there's a bird that flies around that's not a hmm. a machine never saw one but in some gameplay i was looking at on youtube they they just shot one down casually i was like oh, oh. okay i guess that's there too so Interesting. it it there is um There is a little bit of both, but... Okay. Yeah. That's cool that they were able to do... They were able to kind of like knock out two stones at one... Like two... What was it? Two birds, one stone. Two birds, one stone. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know common colloquialisms. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Two birds with one stone by uh, making it so that the horse thing is just no longer... You know, because that would have been an issue. And then also uh, make Aloy a more special protagonist. Yeah, for sure. So that was very, very effective. And I think the... You have it right here in our notes, but the writing was led by John Gonzalez. So he mm. he brought that idea to them um, through writing the story. And I think they were a significant amount of time into development with her riding the horse. And he was like, for story reasons, we need to cut that out. And the development and engineering team was like, what do you mean? Like, that's how, <laughs> that's how we've designed the whole game, basically. And he's yeah, like, nope, got to cut it out because of this, this, and this. And they went, that makes a lot of sense, so. They, they cut it out, yeah. I can yeah. imagine it'd be very disheartening to be working on a horse for like a year. Oh my goodness, And yeah. just be, sorry, we can't use it anymore. It yeah. just, oh. Someone sat there and rendered it, man. And uh, did all the animations. And I think they were able to recycle some of the animations into the other animals, which is good. But yeah, that, that's that's a pretty big change to happen. That's rough. Yeah, it's Oof. a little rough. But I, I think it worked out for the best. Mm. Yeah. Now, overall, they wanted to have this danger aspect, right? Machines are dangerous. Mm. They are not something that you can just like 
run by and stab and then walk away is something that they're going to chase after you. They're going to jump at you. They're going to eat you if mm-hmm. you uh, do not respect them. And uh, it definitely, to me at least in my experience, and this is getting ahead of ourselves a little bit again, but even as you gain levels through like a traditional RPG sort of element that is in the game where you're gaining levels, you're gaining skills, you're gaining more equipment and stuff, even at like level 20, which takes a while to get to in my opinion, I'm still getting wrecked. Oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) There are some, because part of it is you'll encounter Uh, monsters that are harder to beat and at a higher level as you go on that is definitely part of it but the other part of it is like it's just designed so well that you have to understand more mechanics than just okay I'm gonna run at this machine and hit it a bunch of times with my spear like they make you realize that you have to actually use a lot of tactical knowledge in your arsenal and things like that to get it done Mm -hmm. um but yeah, that is getting a little bit ahead of ourselves with gameplay. Sure. But but yeah, overall, like the tone it creates, I suppose, is, is uh, yeah, it's very clear even from the beginning because you think about at the end of the game, but at the beginning when you're fighting a watcher, you're like terrified of that watcher. And then eventually yeah. you're like, eh, it's just a little watcher. But then a thunder jaw will come at you and you're like, well, oh, I'm still yeah. nothing in this world. Yeah, yeah for yeah. real, for real. All right, so let's jump back into the music. Let's give it a little break, and we will uh, continue on with the history and development shortly. Let's listen to Hologram Myth and The Good News, both of them again by Jory Damon, featuring Julie Elvin, and, uh, of course, off of the Horizon Zero Dawn original soundtrack. If you want to call in later on, 949-UCI-KUCI, 949-824-5824, and we will be more than happy to hook you up with a Funko Pop of the Watcher character. Very cute little kind of... I don't know if I'd say Velociraptor character. It's more like um, I think it is supposed to be like a tiny Velociraptor. See, that's right? what I thought yeah. too. But it's it's just like I don't know. Maybe it's just too rounded or kind of sleek or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah I guess like it's a, like a tiny. It's like a baby Velociraptor, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but it's adorable, and yeah. you can win it if you want to call in later on nine four nine UCI KUCI. And without further ado. Let's get into that music. Jory Damon, Hologram Myth featuring Julie Elvin. Thank you for listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My name is Marmar the Midboss. I'm joined by Brandon, and we are Lag Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My name is Marmar the Midboss. I'm joined by Brandon, and we are Lag Radio. We just got done listening to another two songs off of the Horizon Zero Dawn soundtrack. We listened to Jory Damon with Hologram Myth first, and then most recently we finished listening to The Good News, both of those also featuring Julie Elvin, which is the uh, vocalist in the background doing the... That was beautiful. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you very much. I try. <laughs> <laughs> so we're still discussing the history and development cycle of the game. And uh, now one of the things that's really... Something that stood out to me as soon as I started playing, the size of the map. Oh, Yeah pretty large because and then at first you feel like um uh i think it's called the nora wildlands nora brave lands yeah i think it's something along those lines and you think that that area of the map is going to be the whole map like oh i'm probably just going to live in you know somewhat this region and then you zoom out and you're like well this game (laughs) is going to be a little bit longer than i thought and at the end (laughs) once i had everything unlocked i go man i don't even remember being in that area like and then i would go back for story reasons and i'm like this world is gigantic and there's different biomes and yeah, yeah it's it's very it's very well detailed very true yeah, yeah the yeah. biomes that's a good point too it doesn't feel just like it's all samey sort of thing it's just here's this foresty area that's right. like 
very kind of pine tree like and then mm-hmm. there's a jungle area and then there's this yes. yeah there's like a swamp jungle area there's a desert area yeah there, there's a lot of different stuff and this and this might be a bigger discussion we'll have at a different time but this came out the same year that um zelda breath of the wild did oh and at um the game awards the ones that jeff Keeley puts on mm-hmm. horizon didn't win any awards but it's because it came out the same year as zelda breath of the wild and mario mm-hmm. odyssey and and a couple other really good games mm-hmm. um and a lot, and one of the things that made a lot of people upset with that is Breath of the Wild is a big world, but it's not very dense and it's mostly samey. Like there's a couple snowy areas and things like that and a small desert area, but for the most part, it's trees. Mm. And Horizon, I think, has more variety and is a lot denser. Like yeah. anywhere you're walking, there could be machines there or there's a collectible there or like uh, bandits just strolling down the road. Like it, it's it's a very, very dense world, which I like because C- I actually heard that they wanted to make it like three times bigger than what it ended up being. Exactly. Um, Horizon. But they scaled it down to make it denser, which is always the better choice. Yes. Always, always the better choice. It's something that I hope a lot of, of more game developers keep in mind because mm-hmm. I think I haven't played through Final Fantasy 15 yet, but I heard that that was an issue as well. Like, yeah. A lot of the game is you're in the car just uh, mobbing around with your, your boy band. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. like I think they they uh they mitigate that with a lot of conversations you have similar to God of War mm-hmm. like when you're in the boat in the lake there's conversations going on so that's at least good but I just a denser open world is always always favorable for sure yeah now the writing itself we mentioned earlier John Gonzalez previously lead writer for a little known game Fallout New Vegas perhaps. yeah I've heard of it yeah I've heard of it yeah didn't play it. But I've heard of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty well-received one. Yeah. By all accounts, probably the best one. Maybe uh, Fallout yeah. 3 and New Vegas are kind of tied up there. But A lot of people will argue New Vegas for certain right, plot-related right. reasons and yeah. writing-related reasons. But uh, personally, I preferred 3 to New Vegas when it came to the uh, the environment itself. Right. I liked right. just the kind of destroyed Washington, D.C. vibe versus the, the Vegas vibe or the sure. desert yeah. vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either way, that's an aside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we also had uh, Ben McCaw, who had helped write some lore and dialogue for Middle Earth, Shadow of Mordor. Now, did you play that? Um, I did. I don't think I beat it, but I played a pretty, pretty significant amount of it. And my roommate at the time played the whole thing. And even after he beat it, he went through it like two more times. So I've, I've seen the game. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. It was fun, though. I, I like that game. Now, I know a lot of people talked about the Nemesis system in right, Shadow of Mordor, right. but also uh, when it came to the story, do you recall anything? The story, I, I remember specific parts about the first maybe five hours of it and it is a good way to set up the world as far mm-hmm. as like the main plot line I don't know too much about but the overall world that was set I, I did like okay. a lot so yeah. memorable yeah. enough yeah. okay yeah. so basically we have a game that's in pretty good hands which is yes. a pretty good thing uh, now uh, another big part of the game are the dialogue sequences that happen between Aloy the main character of course and some of the other inhabitants of this post post apocalyptic world and in order to get just the character of Aloy fleshed out and this is kind of a good example of what you can do, what you can accomplish when you have big budget. Oh, yeah. They have star actress named Ashley Birch, who has also played uh, Chloe in Life is Strange. She played Tiny Tina in Borderlands 2. She's, uh, yeah, pretty accomplished uh, voice actress. They had motion capture done by someone completely different area of the world, London-based actress Amanda Peary. And then they modeled the entire character off of a Dutch actress named Hannah Hoextra. So, yeah, there was a lot going on when they wanted to make this this one particular character stand out. Now, speaking of Aloy, though, she was a mainstay 
when it came to the development. She like when they started making the game, there was no question over um, like who they wanted to be. Basically, the protagonist. It all kind of just naturally formed. There were not a whole lot of major alterations. She had long red hair. Um, she was a young girl. And I think later on they decided after some playtesting and, and some uh, some feedback from people, they made her skew a little bit towards an older range. So right. uh, she eventually became 19. Yeah, that, but yeah. Originally she was, I think, younger, something maybe like 14 or 15. But the team wanted knew that they wanted someone who's going to be young, going to be agile, going to be someone that they can take down some of these crazy, dangerous machines. And uh, it, it was never really something that they questioned or considered about, like, we want specifically a strong female lead. It just kind of was. And I think this is uh, really important because maybe this is a bit of a hot take, but I really don't like when media feels like they need to change elements of their game to try and be more inclusive. Right. Yeah. And I, this game, it had, there were some instances where I go, oh, I didn't even realize that, you know, that character was being played as uh, gay or anything like that. And then there were other moments where I go, that seems like they were trying really hard to get across that this person's gay or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it, it was kind of a mixed bag, but I did appreciate mm-hmm. that they were, you know, at least if it felt like they could be more diverse in areas, they were more diverse in areas. So that's not always a bad thing, but there were some times where it was like, hey, we're being diverse here. Like, you know what I mean? It was sure. it was more towards this is just what is happening to be in the game. But there yeah. were definitely a couple moments where I was like, yeah, okay, maybe not all the time. Sure, <laughs> but, sure. But for the most part, they did do a good job. Good, yeah. yeah. I could definitely yeah. understand it because there are certainly a lot of games these days that are coming out that um, maybe not a lot. I would say that there's, there's a handful and they definitely are a standout. One of the examples, right. a game that I covered recently, which is Stardew Valley, um, mm, mm-hmm. And this is not to say anything necessarily bad about the game, because I had a great a lot of good stuff to talk about when it came to the game. But Stardew Valley has this really big cast of characters in it, and they are very clearly quite different from one another right. when it comes to skin tone, when it comes to male female, when it mm-hmm. comes to mental health and everything. And I think that that's great in in some ways. In a lot of ways, it's great. But at times, it felt like all right, here's our laundry list, here's our checklist, we gotta right. make sure that we have this person uh, included and this person included, and it doesn't really feel natural depending on the setting. Exactly, yeah. Which is, which is I think, what I was getting at with a couple moments in Horizon that felt that way, because there's one, I think it's a side quest, and you're kind of um, rounding up different, they, they refer to them as pilgrims in the game, but they're basically going to different sites to try and pray, but there's... Um, like each one is different, but there's something preventing them from praying at whatever location they want to pray at. Mm. And one of the guys, he's specifically or repeatedly saying like, oh, and then my boyfriend this and my boyfriend this and my boyfriend this and like making sure mm. like, you know, that they are in a relationship type of thing. Sure. Yeah. That That's the one that comes to my mind where I was like, OK, yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. If they had said it once, I would have been like, oh, OK. But they kept right. saying it over and over in the dialogue. And I was like, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe ease it up on that one a little bit. Sure. But but just in terms of the cast of characters they have, it just it well represents almost every single culture and orientation that I'm thinking of at least. Yeah, I, I don't think there was a single thing they missed. So, I mean, sure. kudos to them for at least that. I think that the the key word though when it comes to this is natural. It feels yes, yes, natural. So yeah. it's it's that here's this giant open world, here's all these different like cities and and villages and this and that and it just makes sense especially when we go into the story a little bit and and mm-hmm. why 
or where everyone came from, no spoilers quite yet, a little bit later on, but uh, I think that it makes a lot of sense. But when you've got this kind of like little village like in Stardew Valley, that's just kind of this remote thing, I can't see this huge amount of diversity necessarily happening in such a tiny little Exactly, town. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think that was uh, one thing that kind of stood out to me. Interesting, though, that you mentioned about that mission because I never encountered it, but I can definitely see what you mean. Right. I think I, I wasn't doing any side missions until the end because I saw there was a... We'll get into the spoiler reason for it later, but there is a reason to do certain side quests. Mm-hmm. So I did those specifically, and that was one of the uh, the interactions in there. So, mm-hmm. so it wasn't... Um, a required mission or required dialogue to have, but it is um, one of the more important ones in all okay. of the side quests, I guess. So, yeah. Gotcha. Now, you said that you did watch a documentary. Mm-hmm. Did you have any particular moments that stood out to you? Anything? Um, I think we covered most of the ones that stood out to me here. I think um, the main one being just that they had so much of the game developed just because they um, shared the engine with Killzone. Like, just them developing two games at the same time is amazing enough, Mm. especially with... um, They're a decently big studio, but they're not, you know, they're not... uh, I was going to say Konami, rip. Um, (laughs) Like Capcom or something. They're not a huge studio. Um, So that's amazing in and of itself. And then to have so much of the game developed and then have a writer come in and say, you need to get rid of a main mechanic in this game, which is Aloy riding around on a horse... And um, and there was another person coming in to do, I think it was um, quest lines. So mm-hmm. his specific role was to do quest lines because, you know, doing Killzone, there's no quest lines. There's just a main plot, very thin, sparse plot <laughs> that's driving you through all of these corridors, basically. Um, and they mentioned, I guess the one thing that was really amazing about it is I just watched the E3 reveal trailer here. Mm. And... I now completing the game, there's a lot of things that are different in what they showed and then what it eventually came out to be because it released two years after that. And in the documentary, I can't remember who said it, but they said the last three months are when the most changes happened. Mm. Like they said in late 2016, it was completely different um, than in March 2017. Like it was almost a completely different game, like different pace and there were some different story beats, I believe they said. So it's like even after a seven-year-long development period, there's that last three months are still so imperative to a game. And this is not even like an online multiplayer game where they have to stress test servers. It's just like narrative and mechanic-based, which is amazing. Yeah, that was so, actually yeah. one of the things that they touched on in... Uh, I watched a, a talk that one of the developers from the studio got to discuss mm-hmm. uh, kind of as a post-mortem at the game developers conference and they talked about um, there was a short little question and answer thing but one of the person opened with uh, one of the questions I guess was opened with we just wanted to thank you first off for like making a solid single player experience that's true which is becoming yeah. less and less common these days at that time I think that was the peak of like where our single player games going I mm-hmm. think now it's kind of tapered off with um, with actually Horizon coming out and this past year, there was, just on PS4, there was Spider-Man and God of War. True. The year before that, there was Persona 5. Like, single-player games came back around in the last two or three years, so I think that conversation tapered off. True. But in the development period of Horizon, it was like, if you're not making a multiplayer game, you're not going to make any money, was basically the big, um, uh, I guess, like, wrong judgment that people had of the games industry sure um multiplayer games do make a lot of money but it's not like if you make a single player game you'll lose 
um, you'll like end up at a loss on the development or anything like that. So it was really good that Sony. I think that I've heard that they had a very good relationship with Sony in how patient they were with the game, right. not forcing them to really focus on on getting this out for deadlines, 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 and also talking about multiplayer shoehorning something into that that's just not going to make sense yeah and i think the sony has still been keeping that up recently because days gone another exclusive for them that got delayed i think it's been delayed twice now um so they're really really patient with their their in-house like first party developers so Mm -hmm. that's good on them that's a zombie one right yeah, that's the one where at the E3 reveal there was just like hordes of zombies coming right, at you. It was yeah. like they weren't very detailed. It was just this mass mob. Yeah, that game. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I was wondering where that game went, but Yeah, I think it's I don't think it has an official release date, but it, I think the general date is 2019. I okay. think. Might be next year, but I want to say 2019. All right. Yeah. We shall see. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're going to open the floor back up to some music so that we can uh, close out the first hour with some good old tunage. We're going to listen to To the Hunt featuring Circle Percussion by Niels van der Liest. And after that, we're going to listen to another couple of Jory Demon songs, Song for Aloy, and then uh, Within the Embrace. Later on, I'm going to have you call in if you want to win a Fungo Pop of the Watcher character from Horizon Zero Dawn, super cute little dinosaur dude. Uh, you're going to want to call in 949-UCI-KUCI, 949-824-5824 when I tell you to do so, and you will have a chance at winning it. If you don't already follow our social media outlets where I post fairly regularly, maybe every like three or four days-ish, depending, then please feel free to do so. Facebook and Twitter.com slash LagLifeRadio can find me on either of those outlets. And in addition to that, Instagram is at DJ double underscore Marmar. The Lag Radio Archive is lagradio.kuci.org. And though we are currently on hiatus, I will be returning to Twitch in the near future. Twitch.tv slash DJ single underscore Marmar. Details to develop on when I'm going to be streaming, but it's certainly going to be back to some of the games that we play for the week in addition to probably Magic the Gathering. Good old mainstay. <laughs> yeah. Were you ever into card games? Uh, 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 does Pokemon while I was six count? Yes. Okay, sure, then that, yeah. Oh, and Yu-Gi-Oh a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah. All right, you played some things around the schoolyard, perhaps? Yeah, probably that's what it was. Cool, okay. When I was, yeah, that was, what, 13, 15 years ago? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Been been a while. Well, you know what? Magic the Gathering's still running strong, 25 years. Just saying, if you ever want to join in, I'll teach you. Teach you the ways. I was going to have another hot take about comparing it to Hearthstone, but... I don't want you to lose any fans. <laughs> Ooh, oh man, I'm gonna. <laughs> That's a different show. That's a different we'll take show. this outside. We'll yeah, take this we outside. will. <laughs> All right, call During in, the music. Call in later. Nine for nine. UCI KUCI. For now, though, enjoy Neil Vanderliest with "To the Hunt" featuring Serval Percussion. Thank you for listening to KUCI eighty-eight point nine FM in Irvine. My name is Marmar the Midboss. I am joined by Brandon, and we are Lag Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My name is Marvin the Midboss. I'm joined by Brandon, and we are Lag Radio. We are discussing Horizon Zero Dawn this evening. We just finished up the history and development cycle of the game and some of the tales and tribulations of the team at Guerrilla Games. Now we're going to discuss the story of the game. So this is where we get spoilerific, and we go through the story in full as best we can, of course, because there's still a good amount. See, I didn't think that this game was going to be a 30-hour game. I thought it was going to be 15 hours. That's what it, like, at the beginning of the game, you think it's going to be 
a deep story, but not nearly as deep as it eventually gets or as detailed or as long. Like you think it's going to be a good story, but not uh, like an like a typical sci-fi super deep lore type of story yeah 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 there was a lot and when it came to like i mean we'll talk about this in gameplay but the audio logs and the text logs oh yeah yeah, even more lore to just go through so yeah there was quite a bit and i was very happy to see that but the story opens on this viking looking fellow by the name of rost and he if i recall he kind of comes out of the cabin and he's holding a baby girl in his Mm -hmm. arms Mm -hmm. and there's this gorgeous lush forest setting around them just this really nice kind of like uh, in the mountains sort of like Netherlands, hinterlands sort of feel. Um, yeah, so very, very very kind of Viking-ish. But he and a matriarch by the name of Tirsa, who's one of the women elders who leads uh, the tribe of uh, Nora, they're called, nearby, they head up a really large mountain for what appears to be, as Tirsa, I think, explains, a holy naming day for the child that Rost carries. And so this is where um, I guess you're supposed to name a child and it's supposed to be like presented to the All-Mother or something who's their their goddess that they pray after. Mm-hmm. Now, another matriarch actually stops them and kind of stands in their way, says that the child is cursed and the ritual needs to be stopped. But basically, Tirsa is just like, yeah, nah, uh, <laughs> out of the way. And uh, yeah, the- Tirsa was my girl, man. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. She stood up for, for what was right, mm-hmm. which is really great. And yes, the name of the child is decided at that time. Frost yells it out into the uh, into the beautiful clouds and the rising sun. It's just gorgeous, and he yells the name Aloy. Now we jump ahead ten years or so, and Aloy has now been raised by roast. Rost, not roast. <laughs> roast, mmm, tasty. Mm-hmm. Uh, raised by Rost as an adventurous, kind of curious, very energetic sort of child, very much like a like a tomboyish sort. Yeah. Now, the other kids of the Nora tribe actually really mistreat her. They throw rocks at her and call her names and stuff. And the reason why is because she is an outcast, just like Rost. So the two of them are outcasts. Now, she doesn't know why she is an outcast, but she does want to become part of the tribe. Now, uh, in part, one of those reasons is because she wants to know the nature of her birth. Now, Ross doesn't have a partner or anything. It's just him. So she wonders, where did she come from? Who is her mother? And where is her mother? So uh, Ross says that basically there's only one way for a person to become part of the tribe after being an outcast and gain access to the info that she is looking for. And that is to win a coming-of-age competition called the Proving. The Proving. So all Nora children basically have to go through the proving in order to pass into adulthood. But if you participate and not just make it to the end, but also make it to the end before every other person, then you are granted a boon. You're granted a wish of your choosing. And uh, of course, that was what uh, Aloy at that time was like, okay, well, I'm going to use my boon when I eventually win this as a, I'm going to ask like the matriarchs, where did I come from? Who's my mother? Mm Mm-hmm. So, this is where Aloy's training begins into becoming the greatest huntress that she could ever be by Rost. Because Rost is, like, pretty accomplished himself, if I recall. Right. I mean, it's not his backstory is not explained all that well, and we'll get into why soon. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, he seems to be very adept at, like, hunting and surviving out in the wilderness. Because, as you mentioned, he was an outcast himself, too. So, yes. he's kind of learned to live out uh, in the open by himself. We do learn, actually 
I, I don't know if you had that conversation because that's a, one of the parts about having an open world game. You never know what people are actually going to experience. Right, right. But there is the final conversation that you have with Tirsa, Tirsa. explains his story. Explains his story. Oh, we well, we might get to it in the notes, but I, now I vaguely remember something like that happening. Okay, sure, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, so Aloy is going to be growing up to become a great huntress, but she is not alone with just Rost, she is also aided by a device that she finds, actually. So when she's young, around this same time period, she is scavenging some ruins left behind by what are called the Old Ones, so the people who came before, the ancestors. And while she's scavenging these ruins, which are just like these giant underground connected like networks of rooms and hallways, mm-hmm. and there's all these different barely functioning technologies surrounded by all these rock formations and and nature is growing in places and stuff. It's very dark, very damp, but uh, still you can clearly tell that there was a lot of really high technology stuff. But while she is scavenging in some of these ruins, she finds a device, and it is called a focus, we later learn. She attaches it to her right ear, and it's able to make her see things that normally are not seeable. So it's at this point that she's able to activate it and and use this as as a means of like communicating with some of the doors in this underground rock formation ruin things and whatnot. Now, we are left to wonder, of course, at this point, what the heck is going on here? Who are yeah. these old ones? Where did they go? Why is all this technology like messed up? And where did it? What happened to it? Basically. You know, because really the only other remnant of this tech that is still active is these machines that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. These dinosaur-like machines, hyper-futuristic looking, uh, very reminiscent, a lot of them, of dinosaurs. So it's kind of a mystery at this point. Kind of interesting. Hmm. Hmm. So what happens? <laughs> so, well, I'll tell you what. Flash forward about to age 19. We've got Aloy now who has completed her training with Rost to become what they both believe is someone who is capable of winning the proving. However, it is not all just like smiles and sunshine and happiness and joy because Rost feels really uh, not so great about it. And the reason being that outcasts are not able to interact with non-outcasts. It's kind of just Nora tribe uh, law. It is it is taboo for them to break that. So when she is hopefully going to be winning the proving, she will basically have to forsake Rost entirely. It's a pretty, pretty hefty sacrifice to just give up your parent that you've had for the past 19 years. Yeah, that's one of the more, the more weighty conversations you have to have early on in the game. Like That definitely sets up the, the relationship that they've had. Because you, you have to make choices um, in terms of how you want to respond to what he's saying. And even, like, no matter what you respond, no matter how you explain yourself, he's just like, yeah, it's not going to work out. <laughs> like, I, yeah. like no matter what you think you can do, it's it's not going to work out. Yes, exactly. It's a very somber sort of farewell, mm-hmm. even though Aloy is just like, hey, we can try and secretly meet and stuff. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll be talk. the one that's, like, in trouble and you won't. But yeah. he's like, it doesn't work that way. Nope. Yep, so she has to say goodbye for the time being, or perhaps forever at this point, and she just jumps into the proving, which is turns out to just be like this race, basically, right? It's Hunter like, Games, <laughs> or uh, Hunger Games. Hunger <laughs> Games, yeah. Just just a race to like the top of this mountain, you're supposed to kind of run up and, and find other different routes and stuff. But even during this particular uh, 
I guess not exam exactly, but like competition, she's discriminated against both yeah. by the competitors and by some of the proctors as well, saying like, you're not going to make it. What are you doing here, outcast? You don't belong here. Right. There's a there's a part where you have to get, they call it in the game, a trophy for hunting a specific machine. So she, or you as Aloy, you kill one of the machines, you get the trophy, and then one of your, like he's like the Gary to your ash type of thing in the <laughs> beginning of the game. But he shoots the trophy out of your hand with his arrow. And instead of the proctor saying like, Oh, that's uh, that's like a point against your rival. I can't remember his name. Just one of the other Nora children. Um, instead of him saying, "Oh, that's a point against you" or some type of penalty, he's just like, "Oh, Aloy, I guess you have to get another trophy, so you have to go through and kill a second one while everyone else goes forward." So it's just like, even even the Proctors and the other people in the Nora tribe are like not okay with uh, with Aloy trying to get her her outcast status taken away. Right. So. Even with all this discrimination happening, though, she is, of course, a boss. She is our protagonist, so she's mm-hmm. going to make it up there. And she well, I wonder if she wins. Huh? Yeah, she does. <laughs> <laughs> she does, in fact. She gets first place, and uh, luckily the person, the tribe's mate who is uh, leading at this point says that she's going to award it to, to Aloy, even, even though like everyone else is hating on her, basically. Mm-hmm. However, just as she is about to award Aloy the number one first place, she's shot with an arrow. Uh oh. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's not good. Just boom, thunk. Yeah, and, it was really because uh, I I had to start a second run through when I played this, but the first playthrough I did of this game, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> that that super took me by surprise. Yeah, I did yeah. not expect that. So the whole group is ambushed by these mask figures. These uh, later on, what we find to be out is cultists. But yes. uh, yeah, these mask figures attack them, and basically all of the competitors, uh, Aloy's uh, other other aged folk that she's been running and, and fighting with they're all basically killed in this attack pretty much Aloy is like the only if maybe two surviving people I think yeah something like that and uh, she only survives actually because Rost <gasps> makes a surprise appearance and of course sacrifices himself for Aloy's life throws her off a mountain I was about to say he pulls a, a Heihachi from Tekken and just <laughs> throws her off the mountain like right. live and chucks her off of a mountain but I mean <laughs> she ends up living so I guess he did the right thing true yeah. true yeah explosion goes off and we never see Ross alive once more Aloy does take quite the hefty fall though and so she is uh, I think she's rescued by like the matriarchs at this point yeah uh, Tirsa Yes, yeah, Tirsa mm-hmm. and them take her into the womb of the mountain, which is previously a place that only matriarchs are allowed to go, in part because there's this giant metal door that no one has ever gone through, but has a voice. It's like this computerized voice, I guess, that speaks, and that is supposedly the voice of the goddess. And when Aloy comes to, she actually is recognized by the voice of the door, the voice of the computer scans Aloy and she is basically at this point cemented into being like this destined sort of being to the mm-hmm. matriarchs. They're like, whoa, this is a big deal. Now, uh, the matriarchs, since of course Aloy did win the proving, she does get to have some of her questions answered, but basically they tell her they don't know who her mother is. Right. It. She just basically came from this door. She just popped up outside of this door out of nowhere and she was discovered as an infant. Uh, and at this point, of course, having lost her dad, 
Rost, basically. In effect, her dad, yeah. I- effectively. And her tribe having been attacked, she takes it upon herself to really grow up a lot and say, mm-hmm. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to find someone, this particular individual, actually, that is like the only lead that they've got. Something I didn't mention, though, is that this lead in particular, Olin, his name is, he was part of a visiting tribe that came to the village mm-hmm. uh, just before the incident, basically. Like before the, the proving before. started, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he was an interesting character because he is the first and only person besides Aloy at this point that was wearing a focus. Yep. She was like, what the? You have one of those? Where'd you get that? And so he was kind of acting uh, in an odd manner that night. Yeah, it was kind of cagey. Yeah, a little bit. But uh, so Aloy is able to kind of ask around and poke around and figure out that he was headed towards Meridian, which is like the crown jewel city of one of the other tribes, the Karja. Real quick on that, going back to uh, the development, Meridian actually started as they were going to have that in the direct center of the map and Mm -hmm. have that be like a hub world. They even thought about experimenting with like, um, I don't know if you know the Fulton mechanic in MGS5. It's like where you can stun a soldier of like an enemy soldier and then you'll attach in effect a parachute to them. Oh, yeah. And they'll get sent to your uh, ship, right? Right. They were thinking about doing that with because you have to harvest resources from the machines. So they were playing around with like, well, maybe other tribes people will come in and get the resources for you and then take them back to Meridian, which was going to be their hub at the time. But they decided against that because that was that's uh, I think they call in general feature creep like you Mm -hmm. can only do so much in a game so they decided to cut off that back but so yeah meridian and it it still feels that way like when i would go do a mission i would always to go to a merchant or like hang out and catch my breath kind of a thing i would always go back to meridian same so i I think the effect was still there even though they decided against having it be the direct center of the map true yeah true so yeah so she is going to try and reach this uh, hub city of Meridian, which is uh, kind of the the really big, like, crown jewel city of a different tribe, the, mm-hmm. the Karja. And it is, however, a very long distance away from the lands that she raised, was raised in, the Mother's Embrace. So she pretty much was given, like, an exception sort of title as a seeker uh, deemed by the matriarchs because otherwise Nora Law says you can't leave this homeland like you can't cross over borders into other place it's like against their religion basically so Aloy is given a an exception exceptional title by the matriarch so she can traverse lands freely and I think with that let's listen to some more music yeah sure cool so let's jump into uh, another couple of tracks by Joy Demon. we're gonna listen to a truth whispered at night and then the world and all its lessons of course, off of the Horizon Zero Dawn soundtrack. If you want to call in a little bit later, 949-UCI-KUCI, we will give you a chance at winning a Funko Pop figure of the Watcher from the game. Very, very cute. Be happy to ship it right to your doorstep. Don't have to go anywhere at all. 949-UCI-KUCI a little bit later on. I think with that, thank you for listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My name is Marmar the Midboss. I'm joined by Brandon, and we are Lag Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. My name is Marmar the Midboss. I'm joined by Brandon, and we are Lag Radio. We're discussing Horizon Zero Dawn, and we just got done listening to a couple of tracks from the soundtrack, actually. We listened to Joy Demon. Most recently, the song was The World and All Its Lessons, and then before that one was A Truth Whispered at Night. Very, very pretty, very kind of, like, darker, I guess, in tone than some of the earlier songs, but quite nice all the same. 
so we are discussing the story. We are plugging away at this. We're going to try and like just power through as much as we can because <laughs> there's there's still a lot to cover. And we only have a limited amount of time. So Aloy needed to go and find the guy named Olin, who was part of the visiting tribe, the Karja, who were uh, coming to visit um, when they were basically ambushed. So she goes and finds Olin uh, over in Meridian. It turns out he was basically being blackmailed into working for this group of evil cultists who he calls the Eclipse. And they are part of a Shadow Karja group, which is... So we talked about the Karja tribe, right? They're the ones that are kind of in control of this Meridian area. But I think that they're outcasts, right? The Shadow Karja? Shadow Karja are. Yeah. yeah so yeah. they're outcasts from the Karja tribe. And so this is kind of like a subdivision of them who are just these kind of like extremist cultist people. And furthermore, Aloy was the one who was actually being targeted here in the ambush during the probing because she looks a significant amount like an old one who some of the... Uh, Eclipse cultists had seen before in some of those ruins, uh, a particular character named Dr. Elizabeth Sobek. Aha, the plot thickens there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, doctor, all right. <laughs> <laughs> no H in Elizabeth, huh? <laughs> yeah, Just but, Elizabeth. Yeah, what, what is up with that? Oh. Yeah, that bothered me the whole game, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Bothered me the entire time. Same, same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she travels, Aloy goes and looks for answers in an area called Maker's End, which is a ruin far to the northwest of basically the entire existence as they know it here. And uh, she first begins to understand some of what happened to the old world, the world of the old ones uh, in this in this ruin, this desolate ruin. So she learns that there was a company, a group named Faro Automated Solutions, FAS, and they made autonomous, quote-unquote, peacekeeping robots that basically fought wars around the world back in the 2060s, 2050s. Yeah, I wonder how that'll end. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't know. I've never <laughs> Skynet anyone. Ooh, Ooh way. <laughs> so these robots basically were like the ultimate in tech. They could self-replicate themselves. They used biomass as fuel. Basically, humans didn't even have to do anything when it comes to like the programming of them. Once you just like set them loose on your your enemies or whatever that are uh, going through war, then they're just like free to do their thing. Now, of course, as you might be able to expect, there was a glitch. There was a glitch in the system that rendered these mechanical beings just like haywire, go wild, go bonkers, and start wiping out all of humanity, and not just humanity, actually, but all of life on Earth, consuming all the biomass, all of the plants, all of the Mm -hmm. animals, fauna, flora alike, just consuming it all, and uh, would just stay that way, because, of course they would just like continue to exist and replicate and Mm -hmm. such that there's just no chance of life ever coming back on the planet of Earth. So uh, at that point, Ted Farrow, who's in charge of the Farrow Automated Solutions, he's like, I know this person, Dr. Sobek. I'm going to use her as a resource to try and see what can we do because we messed up, man. We messed up big. And she just, she's like, all right, give me some time. I'm going to try and figure out something. And she goes... Well, so there's bad news and there's good news. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the good news is we might be able to keep life alive, and we're going to call it Project Zero Dawn. Ooh, name drop. Ooh, there it is. Yep. Uh, the problem is, the bad news, life is still going to end completely and fully. Mm-hmm. There is nothing we can do, 100%, no way to save the world, which is just so disheartening, I'm sure. 
Yeah. Just to know you've doomed humanity and all of everything else. Yeah, like not just humans, but everything. Yeah. Like literally everything. So it's at this point that there's a mysterious voice that starts to speak to Aloy through her focus and uh, actually is even able to shut down nearby focuses of the Eclipse cultists that are uh, tracking her. His name, Silence. Not Silence. There's two puns in here, man. <laughs> There's even a lens thing going on yeah. here, which is like some of the resources you would get in the game. Mm-hmm. The lens. Uh, yeah, Silence. And basically, he's been tracking down, trying to track down answers to these great mysteries left by the old ones for decades of his life, literally decades. But there have been a lot of things that have gotten in his way that he's not been able to uh, overcome. And suddenly Aloy is able to because she is who she is. She's able to just like walk through doors and um, she's able to hack into machines and stuff and turn them good. So crazy stuff that he's never, never been able to experience. So together, the two of them discovered that Project Zero Dawn was basically this kind of terraforming project that was meant to produce life after machines had wiped it all out and been shut down by some sort of kill code of some kind. Now, the two of them, well, kind of, because Silence still exists for the most part just through her focus, but also it does join her for a couple of instances, I think, in in the real, in the flesh. Yeah. But uh, the, the two of them learned that Dr. Sobek was sent to an orbital launch base to complete the Zero Dawn project. And uh, Silence basically says that the base, it exists under, yeah, you know, where the Eclipse are centralized, of course. Yeah. Yeah, you can Super easy it. to get to. Oh, yeah, no problem. Yeah. So Just walk she, in. <laughs> well, that's kind of funny because she does, like, basically does. walk yeah, in. Yeah, she does. <laughs> which is really strange. She's this really known figure, I figure, to the Eclipse. But yeah. The Shadow Karja, just as a group, are just like, oh, yeah, no problem. Come on in. Yep. So uh, she finds the base and these uh, these underground facilities and basically learns that there was an artificial intelligence made by Dr. Sobek and their team named Gaia. And Gaia, basically, she would take over once the entirety of everything was, was destroyed. She would take over and she would say, we're going to deactivate all of the robots we're going to make our own robots, and these robots are not going to be evil. They're going to actually start to restore the atmosphere, the biomes, and all of that stuff. They're going to make the world a place that life could start again. Now, of course, it's not just to make the the world all lush and green and pretty and all flowers and things. Yay, great. But there was also more that needed to be done, in specifically bringing the human life back into being and so one of the other parts of this project zero dawn uh was to store dna from many 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 different people we're talking zettabytes i think of the word that's what i yeah yeah zettabytes of information of dnas to uh basically create human clones right Mm -hmm. pretty much but they would not just create clones just like willy-nilly, but they would create specific clones, specific people that they wanted to bring back at certain times that would be necessary for life to uh, propagate in in a successful manner. And they would also have a particular subset. This was where it got kind of interesting and also a little bit confusing sometimes too. This is the point where I was like, Oh, oh, we're we're in there. <laughs> we're, we're we're getting in there. We're deep. We're yeah. deep in. Yeah. So it, Gaia was comprised of a variety of different gods, like god named things, like Greek god named things, like Hephaestus or Hades 
or Apollo. And uh, they all had their different branches of this kind of like bringing life back into being project. Yeah, like different aspects of human life and like socially uh, and then like knowledge wise, like uh, just all the different branches of human existence, basically. Right. So like the god Apollo, uh, the Apollo branch of this project was designed basically to just reteach humans about everything, about art, about history, about um, just ethics and philosophy and all that stuff so they had these these systems set in place where apollo would be able to teach them via some less intelligent ai beings these multi servitors or something i think they were called yeah but uh unfortunately ted pharaoh the leader of pharaoh industries he like loses heart even though basically all of the the earth's uh, life had been extinguished on the surface. There were still little groups, little masses of people that were able to live in these kind of bunker facilities. And his that he had created, um, he was like, I think he was alone in it, in fact. But uh, yeah, he just kind of has this moment of existential crisis and nihilism and just says like, hey, if we give this knowledge to human beings, even though um, you know, they they need to like relearn art and stuff. If we give them this knowledge, it's probably going to lead to our extinction again. Right. And so he just like wipes the whole damn thing out. Yep. <laughs> and uh, smart. Yeah, forces uh, the growing of uh, the uh, cloned humans, I guess, basically, to just become like this tribal sort of existence, this tribal society, right. which is what we see. Now there was another branch of the Gaia. Uh, Zero Dawn systems that was named, codenamed Hades. This one, <laughs> oh, Hades. Oh, Hades. So basically, the idea you was. You lovable that... goon. <laughs> you scamp. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Gaia would try and create life, but in the event that Gaia's creation of life did not go in and was just not going to happen, basically, human existence would not be able to to yet come into being like if it just is a growing right as an ai so it was still like developing at the time if it wasn't able to to make human existence perfectly suitable so then hades would just say you know what i'm gonna pause you for a second hades or a uh, guy i'm gonna stop you for a sec but real quick though i'm just gonna blow up the earth again yep <laughs> just gonna like wipe the whole thing clean and let gaia start over again with learning some new uh new yeah. stuff in theory yeah sure but that's just yeah that that was the the second point in the story where i was like wait what's the reasoning and why are they I, yeah it makes sense but oh man that's like it's almost not believable that someone think like uh what year is this set in like the 2600s i think you meant or 2060 2060 2066 yeah, i think to me it's like 20 in 2066 no one's thinking that far down the line right like <laughs> there there's no way and then for them to have like solutions to problems that are not even able to be thought of yet it's just yeah. like it it got real crazy they had to use the best and brightest minds exactly for this project and it showed <laughs> oh yeah so at this point though Aloy is like scouring around in all these ruins and trying to find out dig out answers and stuff but she does get captured actually by the leader of the eclipse his name is helis and oh, uh, yeah so she is like sentenced to death by this dude but here is where you like have a showdown with a behemoth in this big old kind of 
um, what's it called? Greek, like Colosseum, or not Greek, uh, Roman, Roman Colosseum. Roman Colosseum, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Colosseum-esque sort of moment where you're fighting a behemoth and you don't have any weapons and stuff and what are you going to do? Or Okay, you got to knock down like your spear or whatever. So you're fighting this behemoth, you're able to take it down and of course Helis is like, no, 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 no. We're going to have to kill you. So let's release the, the other quote-unquote like Kraken sort of dudes. Like yeah. here's some more really, really evil things to fight. Um, and then suddenly silence comes into being like... Here I am. I'm alive. Yeah, I'm here. What's tears up, y'all? through the wall. Yeah, Kool Aid Man esque, <laughs> and just boom. What's up, y'all? And uh, takes takes silence uh, the Kool Aid Man. <laughs> takes Ilio away on uh, on a horseback, basically charger. I think is yeah. The, I think he was riding a charger. And uh, not the dodge, not the dodge variety, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was not driving a stick shift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they are able to escape. Luckily, now this is where Helis and the Eclipse folk apparently had gone and like just wrecked the Nora tribe. Yeah. Yeah. And what was really interesting at this point um, is you can't fast travel directly because it gives you a marker on the world map. Like here's where your next quest is. You can't fast travel to the closest campfire next to it, which is how you go around. Like they make you start at the edge of that settlement and like go through all of the destruction that's happened there, which I thought was a really cool, um, uh, like gameplay effect that they put on that part True, of the story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They force you to go and see the devastation and right. destruction and all of the different corrupted creatures and stuff that have just yeah. been. As opposed to just appearing out of thin air in the middle of it <laughs> and being right. like, wait, what? <laughs> right, right, right. So she finds uh, the tribe. She's able to save the tribe from being totally wiped out by this mm-hmm. death bringer, uh, this crazy, powerful. Apt like, name. Yeah. Apt name. Very much. Like missiles and pulse things and uh, machine guns and all these things. Chain guns, all this stuff. Uh, but she's able to save them and she goes into the depth of the mountain once more where she uh, was previously saved by the matriarchs. And she finds it behind that that door where she was uh, found as a child. She's able to discover the recording left by Gaia because she, the, the AI itself had said... Hades is, uh, yeah, like going to wreck everything. Yep. Basically. And Gaia tried to stop Hades by self-destructing, but didn't really work out so well. Gaia wasn't able to keep the terraforming process happening by constructing all these machines and stuff. So the whole thing was just a wreck. And um, this is where Gaia said, the only person who can probably save this is Dr. Sobek. And so this is why she created a clone of Dr. Sobek, Aloy, that is, and uh, in order to try and destroy Hades and get Gaia back to back to doing what it does best. So Aloy, of course, taken aback very much so, learning that Dr. Sobek, basically, I guess kind of her mom figure at this point, mm-hmm. gave her life so that uh, they would, that basically the, the pharaoh robots would not be able to uh, take down Gaia in way back in the 2060s or 70s or whatever. Mm-hmm. Aloy is able to find a system override though. It's just this like backdoor code thing that she's able to just attach onto like a, like Silence's spear, right? Cause Silence is like. I think Silence gives her what she attaches to her own spear, I believe, right? It's like a little, uh, it's like a cartridge of some sort that's at the end of her spear, I wanna say. Oh. I think is what, because there's that point where you have to like go to the table and it says like attach whatever. 
Oh, okay. I thought I, it was Silence's spear. Maybe he, he gives her the spear that's able to hold the attachment. I think that's what it was. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. I think that was. Either way, they yeah. basically they find this thing that could be like a like a backdoor of sorts to destroy Hades. And you also get a shock boost to your spear, <laughs> which is nice yeah. after getting that. Yeah. True, true. Mm-hmm. That helps. Um, did you, or actually, real quickly, brief aside, sure. were you able to, because I saw that I was able to get like these modifications for spear damage. Were you? I had spear damage mods, yeah. But I could not equip them to my spear. Yeah, that's not a, huh. Because I had damage mods. I didn't have any spear damage mods. Sure, yeah. That was the weird thing. That's I interesting. couldn't understand I'll have to it. look into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either way, that's just a quick aside. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so basically they need to destroy Hades because otherwise Hades is going to send out this massive signal by reaching the spire near Meridian and uh, going to turn on all of the pharaoh robots that are just going to basically destroy Earth once more. This is where Aloy is able to stop the advance of the Eclipse troops and Helis, able to fight them off, kills Helis, or at least I did. I don't know if there was, I think there was an option to try and like let him go. Oh yeah, but I killed him. (laughs) I was like, oh yeah, you're done. 100%. You're done. (laughs) And uh, fights off Hades' last like guardian in the form of the ultimate like Deathbringer yeah, totally. it's like a Deathbringer on steroids. It was wild. Yeah. That was I, quite the fight. Which, on one hand, I was like, yeah, of course it's going to be a Deathbringer. But on the other hand, I was like, eh, it would have been cool if they did something else. But I also hate when a game is like, here's the last boss or last fight in the game, and it's a mechanic or a situation you've never been in before. Mm. I hate when games do that. Yeah. So I think I think this was the, the right way to go. Sure, something yeah, that you yeah, were yeah. used to. You know at this yeah. point. How yeah, like you didn't know. fight Hades itself type of a thing, which is what I thought, but I think it's smart they didn't turn it into some crazy like pterodactyl or something like that. That's it, fair. Yeah, yeah. So she's able to take down the Deathbringer along with the help of some of her other friends and uh, and uh, compatriots that she's gotten throughout her uh, journey th- across the, the different lands. Yeah, real quick, that's the, I mentioned earlier, like there are some side quests that are more important than others. Mm. So the ones that are important are the ones that allow you to get those allies that are then oh. part of the battle. So I saw that one of the trophies you get is like... Um, uh, all allies joined, I think is the name of the trophy. Mm. So if you get all of the accomplices, you can get through those side quests and you'll get that trophy. So I did all of the ones that allowed for that to happen. And they are definitely the ones that are like multiple parts type of a thing. Like there mm-hmm. are errands and side quests where it's like you do one thing and you're done. Mm-hmm. These for the most part had like multiple parts to them. So if yeah. I had known that, yeah, I definitely would have done that. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, when I told you, I was like, "Oh, I've done everything I want to do, and I finished the game." That was what I was like going back to do. Oh, yeah. I yeah. only had three people join me for the final fight. Ooh, <laughs> I wonder if it makes any difference on how hard the final battle is. I doubt it, but I wonder if it actually matters. But it was pretty tough. It was, <laughs> so it was pretty tough. Time. Yeah. So Aloy is able to kill Hades and uh, uses oh yeah uses a uh, Silence Lance that has been like equipped with that backdoor code mm-hmm. and ends this hopefully ends this sort of moment so she goes and sees where dr sobek herself had passed away uh, that was a beautiful from, scene i really i like that a whole lot yeah yeah, right? yeah i like that a lot all the flowers and growth and everything and yeah and it had the uh i can't remember what it's a symbol of i think her company or like the um oh the triangle thing the triangle yeah it was like the logo for whatever she was from or worked for right that, yeah that was super cool it was also the logo the metal flowers that you'd find the metal flowers too yeah, yeah. same yep. sort of deal so very very beautiful um and that's the kind of the the last scene before the credits hit however post credit scene uh-oh hades suddenly like is just 
comes out of this little sphere that he had been uh, implanted into and mm-hmm. previously been stabbed by Aloy, of course, but like just flies into the air as some sort of ethereal spirit thing, but then just like flies right into this lantern-esque object that hi- Silence yeah, like is carrying. Yeah, a little lantern cage thing that Silence has. Yeah, and he's just like, hey, so uh, you're going to tell me who sent out the signal that woke you up in the first place. Yep. And he like kind of pans out and you see one of the the massive metal devils that uh, I guess was just like the ultimate evil or whatever. Right. And that, and that was also one of the things I thought might be the last fight was that one of the metal devils would come alive. I'm glad sure. it wasn't that, but thank you. And horizon <laughs> one dawn, maybe that'll be what the last boss is, <laughs> but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> horizon one dawn. One dawn. So that's going to wrap it up for the story for the game. However, we still have a lot to talk about when it comes to gameplay, and we have very little time. So I think we're just going to jump right into it in our thoughts and gameplay. Sure. That's all right. So uh, first off, combat. You've got machine battle, and then you've got uh, human battles, and those are very different how you approach those. Now, human battles, uh, stealth aspect, right? You're right. trying to stay stealthy on them. You can headshot your enemies as humans, and... Boom, they're done. So for for the very most part, you can. There's a couple yeah. like heavier enemies, but right. yeah, for the most part, you can. Right. Machine battles, on the other hand. Oh, boy. Dude, all right. You've played Monster Hunter before? Um, No, but I've seen a lot of footage of, of a lot of them. This yeah. is Monster Hunter, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Monster Hunter with machines, because that's, I played Monster Hunter World last year. Same sort of deal where you have to like pinpoint certain certain weaknesses on there have to use certain elements to try and like deal more damage the components fall off it exposes more of like a weak spot Mm -hmm. and then you're able to target that further sometimes the component is like a heavy weapon that the machine can use but then you tear it off and you can use it against them which is super cool yeah yeah Yeah. exactly so i was a pretty big fan of the combat and and how it was Mm -hmm. monster hunter-esque but at the same time they also had these human battles that are i admit i am not good at stealth games but yeah uh yeah they had that too. How'd you feel about the combat? The combat. So when I did my first run, what made me stop was that there were just so many times when I would be at like a bandit base or, or a machine area and I would get so far into picking all of them off, um, trying to be stealthy. And then I would alert someone and then a whole mob would come at me and I would just die right away. Mm. And I hated that. So Mm. I stopped playing. Um, but then coming back to it, I eased up the difficulty. I realized that shooting off components is super important. Um, there's other weapons that I could have used, like the slingshot mm-hmm. with the bomb was super useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and the hard point arrows was super use- useful for getting the components off of machines. Um, like I think my first run through, I didn't realize just how deep the system was Yeah, and realizing how deep the system was and figuring out what was good against certain enemies, like that changed everything. So, um, if someone's thinking about playing it and they kind of run into that, I would say take some time, watch a couple YouTube videos, mm. kind of figure out exactly what you need to do, and then the rest of the game will be will be a lot better because of that. Totally agree. Yeah. Totally yeah. agree. Now, difficulty spikes, though. Now, this was a problem in the development yes. of the game, too. This was something that they, that they dealt with. They heard a lot of feedback on, and so I'm sure that they were aware of it, and they tried to make it intentionally different in some ways. Mm-hmm. Difficulty, for me, I had to drop it to easy. Same. I yeah. didn't necessarily want to. I like playing on normal. That's the way I think that games are intended to be if they have a normal mode. Exactly. But man, some of those fights were grueling. Yeah, especially like one that sticks in my mind is the first time you come across a Thunderjaw like in the story. Mm. I'm like, how do I even deal with this? And the uh, the Stormbird 
Yeah. Which is, oh my goodness. Like there, there are some specific machines that are just insane because the Deathbringer is tough to beat. Like it's kind of viewed as the ultimate machine, but it doesn't really move all that much mm-hmm. and you can kind of figure out its movements and things like that. But there are other machines where it's like, like the rock breaker. I didn't, I didn't notice until like maybe the fourth time I fought one that if you just stand still and don't make any noise, it can't track you underground. Seriously? Yeah. Once I figured that out, I was like, well, okay, now I have a chance. Cause I would always try and dodge everywhere and then he would just pop right up and hit me. I'm like, well, you could also shoot off his, uh, digging claws too, which is like, true. God, this system's so deep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For real. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. The difficulty spike was an issue for me, but once you went, the fact that they have an easy mode and then they also even have a story mode below that where it's even easier, I guess, to get through. Yeah. It's basically like no matter what you're going to (laughs) win, just go through the story. Pretty much. Yeah. But uh, yeah, for people who want some more difficulty, they don't just have like higher difficulty levels, but they also have the DLC, which I heard was Oh excruciatingly yeah. difficult. I've heard it's real bad. Yeah. But there there is an armor you can get. Um it's not unlockable until after maybe like the second or third to last mission called the Shield Weaver, mm-hmm. I think it's called. Um that helps so much because it gives you like a Halo esque shield over oh. your health. So it's like your health bar, but then it's doubled up by an extra shield and it regenerates over time on its own. So once I got that is when I did the side quest and then the final couple missions. I want that. Yeah, it was so useful. Because then I was just walking up to machines and hitting them with my spear at that point. I was like, yeah, come at me. Now, another issue, though, I found with the game, though, Mm -hmm. we talked a little bit about the dialogue. How you have some options where you can talk about stuff. Yeah. There's this fist, heart, mind sort of concept where you can can be like, oh, screw that guy, stab, death. Or like, oh, I totally feel for you, heart, passion. Yeah. And uh, the mind, like, well, that's not very logical sort of deal. Right. Really, though, did you really have much of a choice? Like, it no. had no real impact on anything. Which I'm which I'm kind of happy about and kind of sad about. I'm happy about it because, like, the game didn't give you too many of those options. Like, it, it's not like a Mass Effect game or a Bioware game where it's, like, every single time you have a conversation, that option comes up. So I'm happy that they didn't like make those small choices affect things in the game. Mm. But I'm also kind of sad that they didn't dig into it more and make those more um, plentiful in the game. Um, But like the first instance of it where the kid is ridiculing you and you can like throw the rock either straight at him, do nothing or throw his rock out of his hand. Yeah. I thought that was like a perfect way to illustrate like it's just small ways that affect the world. Like it's not going to change the plot or anything. Um, So yeah, I, I, liked it but also i i think they could have done more with it true yeah Yeah. i could see it as being a a means to try and identify a little bit more with aloy or making her like your own sort of right but But not overdoing it at the same time true yeah true 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 now resources and crafting though (sighs) that was a system the resources man that management was miserable i and one of the resources you need to expand how many resources you can have is uh fox bone yeah i was going around the world killing every single fox I felt horrible about it because they're just <laughs> running along, not doing anything to Aww. anyone. And fox bones drop so rarely. And I had so many resources on me all the time that I was like, it, it was frustrating at that point. Yeah. Um, but like other things that you have, like the modifications, those you can kind of just dump off the lower ones and not a big deal. But resources, it's like later on in the game, you kind of need every different type of resource. And 
True. Yeah. Once I got the Shield Weaver outfit, though, I was able to sell off all of the lenses that you use to buy armors. Oh, nice. And I was like, well, I don't need any armor. So True. I'm going to sell all those. So that helped. But that um, it, it's you are definitely in menus a lot <laughs> trying to trying to manage your inventory. A lot. Yeah. Uh, probably like probably like two-thirds of the way through the game, I realized that a lot of my resources were being taken up by just multiple stacks of like driftwood or yes. whatever. And so yeah. I was like, all right, I got 2,000 pieces of, <laughs> exactly. of like wire. What do I need this yeah, wire Yeah, exactly. For? Like if you're not using the trip caster here, just kind of like, eh, I mean, yeah, I can get yeah. rid of that. Yeah, exactly. So I started selling off that luckily and it didn't right. help. But um, yeah, crafting is a big thing in this game. Mm-hmm. Get, look forward to that or be aware of that or scared of it. Yeah. Uh, you will and be crafting in the during a battle too is like so, uh, it's like intense. Yeah. Like you have is. to time it out, but you need to do it to attack the machines too if you've run out of ammo. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that it's a good amount of stress when it came to like the in-battle crafting. That was pretty Yeah, cool. like it's not Resident Evil 2 status of stress and like ammo resources, Are but you... but it, it's it's a it's at a good level. Sure. Um, a lot of collectibles in the game for people who just want to mm-hmm. explore and and go around and like we talked about earlier the density of the the content oh, yeah. was really good. So it's like you can just kind of bounce between different areas with all these different dinosaurs dinosaur-esque monsters or machines really Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i I like that that you would just like oh there's a collectible right there and just hop a little bit farther away and there's probably another one yeah bannock figure i actually never um what's it called like activated what they called vantage points but i did see them come up on my map and you can like buy treasure maps from merchants that'll show you where they are right um but it's like I got. I feel like I got so many collectibles, but I didn't even do one of a certain type of collectible. Like, Jeez. there's a lot of stuff in this game. Yeah. yeah. So you can really dig in deep if you really enjoy the world and, mm-hmm. and everything else. Um, la- one of the things I wanted to touch on, graphics. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Gorgeous, gorgeous background, environment, all of that stuff, lighting effects, gorgeous. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah. Facial animations. Yeah, I feel the same way about this. There, and there were even times when like lip sync was off. Like what was yeah. animated from the facial, it was like a couple seconds off or it was just a different right uh, conversation entirely. Like it was the facial animations and the more intimate moments, definitely uh, there was some some stuff left to be had. But yep. like you were saying, the backgrounds and the environments, those were all amazing. And there's probably you can watch the Noclip documentary. They go more into it. But the way they designed how things in the environment come to be and what you see and what you don't see is super interesting. So mm. um, to get more uh, depth on that, I would recommend watching that. But For sure. Yeah, it, the backgrounds are beautiful. Now, some people might be thinking it's kind of nitpicky to say like facial animations, eh, whatever. But like in a game like this, it's probably going for really deep immersion exactly. with the dialogue and mm-hmm. with the backgrounds and everything. So when you see like... I think it's the last conversation with Tirsa about your your dad figure, Ross, and his story. Mm-hmm. Like, her mouth did not match, and that yeah. kind of breaks the immersion. Or when you have to keep going back and forth into menus, that breaks the immersion. So little things like that. I'm hoping that they tweak for Horizon one dawn. <laughs> one dawn. Yeah, and, I, and I've mentioned it to you before, um, not during the show, but, like, playing God of War and then playing this... Mm. There's just so many things that even a year separated on release that God of War does right. And that's there. Well, first of all, it's only one camera angle. So it's like it never breaks that angle. I think it does once through the whole game. Um, And it somehow manages to find a way to keep everything technically sound. Mm -hmm. I think there's one thing where like as a big monster is 
crashing, you kind of see the textures load in. That mm-hmm. was like the only technical hiccup I had. So okay. it's like there's more polish to be had in games that came out after it. But at the time, it had to be one of the best examples of how to get an open world to render in, sure. in like, you know, at such a big draw distance. Especially um, for console. Oh, yeah, for console especially. But it, that being said, God of War did it, you know, it's not an open world, but there are instances where you're in a big area type mm-hmm. of a thing. So, yeah, it's like we were talking earlier, if we had to give it a number score, I think we agreed at like an 8, 8.5 type of sure. thing. And I think that's because the gameplay is great. The graphics are great overall, but there is a lot of stuff that just kind of breaks the immersion. Mm. Whereas playing a God of War, it's like you you are Kratos. You're always <laughs> Kratos. You're in that world like... There's very little that pulls you out of it. So, oh yes. Yeah, yeah. I think they, hopefully, like you said, in one dawn they uh they <laughs> iron some of that stuff out. Well, closing all all in all, had a great experience. Yeah, but for sure. It's time to move on to the next game, and of course, yeah. Next game we're going to be covering. We're going to go back into the RPG genre. We're going to be playing a really special RPG. We're going to the greatest, in my opinion, the golden and silver and crystal era of Pokemon. We're nice. going into the second gen. Pokemon Crystal is going to be played in two weeks' time, so please join us on the next show. I'll probably have Brandon as well as a couple other special folks that we had in previous weeks. So, yeah. Spoiler, Pokemon Crystal is my favorite game of all time. So <laughs> right now I'm on like my 20th or something run of I've ever Jeez. played of the game. So, Dang. Does it ever feel yeah. bad, though, to restart and lose all those Pokemon? Nah, because no? I kind of... I've played it so many times, like... I, I think I told you before in preparing for the next show, I'm like, I'm just going to try and use Pokemon I've never used before. Like, I'm going to try and get a Crobat. Never have used a Crobat in that game before on any Sweet. of my other runs. So All just right. trying to change it up a bit. Well, there we go. So yeah. join us, Pokemon Crystal. Don't forget to visit our social media outlets at facebook.com and twitter.com slash Radio. Instagram is at DJ double underscore Marmar. We've got the Lag Radio archive at lagradio.kuci.org. And I now realize I ran out of time to mention the giveaway so if you want to call in right now or even uh yeah just call in right now 949-UCI-KUCI 949-824-5824 I'd be happy to take your call in these last few moments so don't forget to join us in two weeks time not next week but two weeks time for Pokemon Crystal thank you again so much Brandon for coming in thank you for having me cool and we will see you guys next time